Well, we're going to go ahead and get into the word here. We're in John 14. We're going to look at verse 4 and tackle probably the next five verses or so. As you do your studying in the scriptures, every book of the Bible has what scholars have considered to be their key verses. All right, their key verse. And that key verse helps unlock that book in its purpose, in its context. Everything kind of flows through that key verse. And it's not always easy. Sometimes you got to read the whole book and you'll find the key verse at the end of the book, like in this book, like in the Gospel of John. And John likes to do that. Even in 1 John, he waits till chapter 5. To tell us why these things were written. And you're like, oh, the whole time I was wondering why these were written. And now you tell me, you know. And he just tricks you so that you'll go back and read it all again with that in mind, you know. Um, I don't know that that was intent, his intent. But that's what I would do. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. Have fun for the next 20 hours reading. Okay. But what is the key verse of the Gospel of John? It's found in chapter 20, right? Second to the last chapter of the book. Verse 31, and it says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the purpose of the gospel of John is to inform the reader that Jesus wasn't just a good man or some kind of guru. Jesus wasn't just a historical figure. Jesus wasn't just a prophet, but that Jesus was who he claimed to be the son of God. Okay. Truly God, truly man. It's what theologians call the hypostatic union. I wanted to have a band named that back in high school. Okay. Seems like it would be like a band name. I don't know. Plus, I don't play that kind of music. But, you know, that Wesley, dude, the drummer up here, my little buddy Wesley, he's like, please, one of these weeks, can we play rock music? I'm like, I'm working on it. Okay. So anyways, what was I talking about? Oh, hypostatic union. See, now you'll never forget. Oh, hypostatic union. All right. It's quite the mystery how God, the second person of the Trinity, the son, God, the son took on flesh. Okay. Psalm chapter 40 has a wonderful prophecy about that moment where the son is having a conversation with the father. And he says, you know what? All those sacrifices and offering that are going down there, the book of Isaiah says they're burning my eyes because people are just lighting up thinking that that's what I wanted. Lighten up animals, you know, camels and such. Okay. They're lighting up down there and their heart is far from me. And so he says to the father, sacrifice and offering you did not desire but a body you prepared for me. And then the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and Psalm chapter 40 quote this psalm. And it says, behold, it is written, 
and the volume of the book. Everybody hold up the volume of your book. Why is it so big and hefty? Because it's got a lot to say. The volume of the book has written that that son delights to do the will of the father. And is going to do the will of the father for 33 years will do the will of the father. And then that body that was made will die on a cross as a sacrifice for sin. So the son of God in eternity before time, not a created being. We studied in John chapter one that there never was when he wasn't. Can you guys all say that? There never was when he wasn't. What does that mean? It means that Jesus has always been. Why? Because he's God. What? Yeah, there's one God, but three persons within the Godhead. It's called the tri-unity or the trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Son had a body prepared for him. And... He clothed himself in that flesh, was shot into Mary's womb. Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. And that's how that body that was prepared for the Son of God was placed in Mary's womb. And Jesus was born a man, just like every man here, born a man, truly God, truly man. Fully God, fully man. Okay? It's never been before. It'll never be since. This is this was a special event in God's rescue plan to save us from our sin. And so the Gospel of John was written so that we would read the first 12 chapters and just be blown away by the miracles that Jesus did. Look at all the incredible miracles. And every one of those miracles should point us to know there is something really special about that dude. I don't know many guys that can raise people from the dead. A few, but not many, you know. Or can multiply five loaves of bread and two fish to feed 20,000 people. I don't know too many guys that can do that. I don't know too many guys that can walk on water and calm the storm and then get in the boat of the scared people that were in the boat and then just, you know, quantum leap them. If you know that show from the 80s, you know, quantum leap them to the other side of the lake like that. We read these things and it should cause us to say he's different. I don't know who else can do that, but God. Keep thinking, keep thinking because he is God. And so John tells us in John chapter 20, verse 31, these things were written so that you would believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Well, what happens when you believe that? Okay, I believe it. Well, then it says, and by believing, you will have life in his name. There is life that comes And believing in Jesus is the son of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's life that comes here in this life. He washes away our sins. He cleanses us from a guilty conscience. So now we can serve the Lord without guilt and condemnation. 
He gives us the Holy Spirit when we believe in him so that we can have power over sin and boldness and courage to go out and minister to a hurting world. He gives us a future and a hope in this life and the next that we would be with him forever in paradise. By believing you would have life in his name. Well, Jesus tells the disciple in the upper room discourse, it's part five or something from that section in the gospel of John. He says in verse four of John 14, where I go, you know, and the way, you know, so Jesus has already told them a few verses ago that I'm going away and where I'm going, you cannot come. And they get all flustered by that. We want to go with you, Peter especially. Like, I want to go with you wherever you're going. And Jesus is like, I'm doing something else. I'm going to prepare a way for you. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. You're not going to be coming with me. One day you will. You'll have your own cross. But not right now. And then there's a lot that happened. There was a lot of drama last week. We studied it all. But now we're hopping back to verse 4. And, and he says again, and where I'm going, you know. I've been telling you where I'm going. I'm going to the cross. And the way you know. And then Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Thomas, just a very real and genuine dude. That's I'm probably a lot like him. Most of the time he opens his mouth. It's just clear that he doesn't get it. <laughs> he doesn't get what's going on. You know, Peter is foot in the mouth, you know, and, and Thomas is just like clueless, you know, half the time. He's known as Doubting Thomas. And here in the presence of Jesus, he's saying, Lord, I have got no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like, where are you going? Jesus says, where I'm going, you know, and you know the way. I, I don't know nothing of the sort, Thomas says. They're confused. They're going to start peppering him with questions here. How can we know the way? How can we know the way? You're leaving us? How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus says, back in verse 4, where I go, you know, and the way you know. We don't, we don't know the way. What are you talking about? I am the way. You know me, don't you? About three years we've been hanging out together, traveling, camping, going on hikes, working miracles, working ministries, lots of conversations, lots of Bible studies, all of that stuff. Don't you remember? I am the way. And he breaks this down. Really, ultimately, we've got I am the way. And that encompasses the two other things, the truth and the life. Here in verse 6, we have six out of seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. He has said, I am the bread of life. Now just think about that for a second. We're not going to go into like a whole bunch of Bible studies on each one of these, but it's pretty simple. And picture yourself being back there 2,000 years ago and what you would eat back then and so on and so forth. And to have him say, I am the bread of life. Or for him to say, I am the light of the world. Or I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. 
in a couple chapters, well, in one chapter, in ver, uh, chapter 15, he's going to say, I am the vine. Okay, so these are pretty easy images here to kind of get the metaphor, metaphor, metaphor on, right? And here he says, I am the way. I'm the way. You know, when people post stuff on Facebook, you know, and they have like either it's a meme or it's a picture. It's a cute little picture. It's a little girl like getting attacked by a kitten or something. I don't know. And then all they put, though, is this. And they just say that this. And guys, with this verse, just start dropping it like it's hot. Just be like this. And people will be like, oh, this is going to be good. A cat getting attacked by a child. So, you know, one, one way or the other. There's always one. Way. Oh, they posted something about it. And Jesus said to them, I am the way. You know, it's dropping it like it's hot, you guys. They get to come to terms with the words of Jesus. This statement, I am the way. This. Gandhi said, the need for the moment is not one religion, but mutual respect and tolerance of the different religions. That sounds kind of nice, peaceable, and coexist. You ever notice they put the cross at the end of coexist? Oh yeah, we're last, thanks. Seems nice, right? Yeah, just like what we need is not one thing. Just everyone kind of doing their own thing. We just kind of jive together and listen to jazz. Instead of clapping at the end, we snap. Hmm, it's going to be great. This sounds awesome until you open up your Bible. Okay? This. And it's just the truth of the matter is that this doesn't snap with that. Okay? Here we have Jesus saying... I am the way. Oh, there's lots of... No, the way. And I am the truth. Oh, there's lots of... No. (laughs) The truth. Oh, there's lots of... And I'm the life. The way. He's the road. He's the path. He's the journey. He's the way of life. The early church used to refer, be referred as the way. Until like in the 70s, a cult came and took that name on and, you know, kind of ruined it. 2,000 years later, they just steal something. Okay, anyways. But up until like Acts chapter 13, Christians were called the way. They were the way. Now the tree of many roads to heaven is chopped down. All of those different branches that people want to go on and all of those different roads, it's chopped down as Jesus makes this exclusive statement. The second half of this verse shows that the entire verse is taken as the answer to Thomas's question. Jesus is the door in John chapter 10 verse 9. And he says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved He will go in and out and find pasture. Talking about kind of a sheep metaphor. He's the way. He's the door. 
And Jesus says in that John 10 passage, if anyone tries to go in some other way, he's the same as a thief and a robber. The gospel of John just doesn't jive with that. Just whatever flows and whatever goes. But that there's objective truth. In Romans chapter 5 verse 2, it says it's through Jesus we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Jesus is the access. Jesus is the VIP pass into heaven. It says it again in Ephesians 2.18. Through him we both have access by one spirit to the father. It's through Jesus that access to the father comes. Hebrews chapter 9 says that the way into the holiest of all is through Jesus. You want to go to heaven? You want to be in the presence of God? The way into the holiest of all is manifest through Jesus. It was John MacArthur in his book, Why One Way, that said, the one essential, non-negotiable demand postmodernism makes of everyone is that we are not to think we know any objective truth. Postmodernists often suggest that every opinion should be shown equal respect. And therefore, on the surface, postmodernism seems driven by a broad-minded concern for harmony and tolerance. It all sounds very charismatic and charitable and altruistic. But what really underlies the postmodernist belief system is an utter intolerance for every worldview that makes any universal truth claims, particularly biblical Christianity. That's the culture that we live in today. Oh, everything's good and everything's just like everyone. Let's just flow together. Until you say, well, well, my flow is that there's one way to God and it's through Jesus Christ, the creator of heaven and earth, and he loves us and he died for us. And if you believe on him and lay down your self-righteousness and receive his salvation like a little child humbly receiving a gift, you will not perish and go to hell, but you'll have everlasting life. And it's nothing that I did. It's all that he did. And it's grace, 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 and nothing but grace. He's a gracious God. And, and you're just put to bed on that one because it's exclusive. There's a website, religioustolerance.org, that in its statement of faith says, We do believe that systems of truth in the field of morals, ethics, and religious belief are not absolute. They vary by culture, religion, and over time. And so just kind of, hey, it's just all relative, just like over there, it's the cool. And now, context is important on so many things, but regarding the, the truths of the scripture and the doctrines of who God is and his standards of morality and biblical morals and ethics and so on and so forth, he's given it and he's laid it out to us clear cut and dry. And he tells us why and the blessings and he shows us what happens when we live 
in other ways, in other worldviews, in other manners of life, and how it's destructive to cultures and people and civilizations. And that for 4,000 years, the Bible had been given to us, and for 4,000 years, men and women lived it out, believed it to be true within the uh, understandings of um, interpretation. 4,000 years goes by, you have Jesus show up on the scene. He preaches the exact same thing. He preaches the exact same morals and ethics and standards. Only he shows what the Old Testament meant in the New Covenant. And that, that, that we would be now living according to grace, not based on what we have done, but what God has done for us through Christ Jesus. But the same issues that we have today that we question, that maybe they've passed away. Jesus says, same standard. Nothing changes. And I've not come to do away with those things, but to fulfill those things and to say that they are yes and amen. And so from clear back in Adam and Eve, all the way up to Jesus's day, those standards for righteousness and religion and morals and ethics, they were yes and they were amen. And Jesus said it. And Jesus said that they would be. Till the end of time, he's got who he is. He is a holy, righteous, loving, gracious, just God. And yet somehow after Jesus, we kind of say, you know, whatevs. But that's not what the scripture says. The Bible says that there's objective truth. And there are just amazing scholars who have done the work to show how the scriptures can be understood according to the rules of interpretation. Great minds and professors of literature have done the work. Great historians and archaeologists have shown that this is a book that is not shifted and changed over time. We can find original documents and manuscripts and see how it has stood the test of time over thousands and thousands of years. And that any variance that there may be may have been in just the translations from a language to another. And they are on minor, minor points that affect nothing of the main message of the Bible. And scholars have shown that you take the best works of history... All right, take the best works of literature, you name them thousands of years ago, you know who they are if you took college, you know, and, and you would find original manuscripts and things to go back on, and you would find that they stand about, uh, about as tall as my pulpit here, all of them combined, the original manuscripts. And that the variations that they have within the text are astronomical. But then you go back to the scriptural documents and the original manuscripts and they are as tall as the Eiffel Tower stacked on top of each other and the number of variants are minuscule and so there is great credibility within the scripture and Jesus when he says I am the way he's just saying guys Look and see and taste and see. And you'll see that there is one road and it's a narrow road. There is one door. And anyone that tries to hit it up by any other direction, go through the back gate or through the doggy door. You know, when I was a kid, we had a doggy door in the back of our garage. And whenever I'd come home from school and mom wasn't there, you know, I'd run around back and I'd climb through the doggy door. 
you know. And I kind of enjoyed doing that. I'd get hair all in my mouth and stuff, you know. But, you know, you, you wake up in the middle of the night and you go out to get a glass of water and some guy's hanging halfway through your doggy tour, you know. You've got a problem. The same is as a thief and a liar. That's what Jesus says. He's the door. He's the way. He provides the access. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the one who has life in himself. Chapter 5, verse 26 of John tells us. He's the resurrection and the life, Eleven twenty-five tells us. John tells us in 1 John five twenty that he's the true God and eternal life. Thomas Kempis, cited by Bruce, says, Without the way, there is no going. And without the truth... There is no knowing. It rhymes. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow, and the truth in which thou must believe, and the life for which thou must hope. At the end of this verse, you got to underline it. No one comes to the Father except through me. Sounds kind of narrow-minded. Well, Jesus says, narrow is the way. Broad is the way, Jesus says. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it, Jesus says. And isn't it the grace of God today that he would call you by name to come and to be here in this amphitheater and to hear such words that maybe confront your worldview, maybe are a bit of a correction to you? Man, hear that just as something that's just going to propel you into knowing life. Hear that as to something that's going to bring something good in you. Christianity is exclusive. But Christianity is not exclusive because of who it lets in. Jesus teaches that anyone may come. Christianity is exclusive because there's only one way to get in. Anybody's welcome. All are welcome. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son to them. That if anyone whosoever would believe in him, they would have everlasting life. Anyone up north, anyone down south, to the east, to the west, you hear this message, believe in Jesus Christ and be saved from your sins and saved to heaven. Sound pretty exclusive to me. It's exclusive because you don't want to come through Jesus. It takes humility. It takes humbling yourself. And coming to him like a little kid, just trembling with tears in his eyes and snot running down his face, just says, I'm sorry. I want you. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, listen to these words by the Apostle Paul. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. 
There is one man and one God. That man is the mediator. You guys like law and order, you know, and you like the attorneys, you know, and that one who stands in the gap for you. Man, there is one attorney that stands in the gap between you and the righteous judge. And that one man's name is Jesus Christ. Do you love those law shows where that attorney just stands up and defends your case and just the acquittal happens and it's so wonderful and everybody stands up. But have you ever seen a drama where the attorney actually lays his life down to sacrifice himself for the defendant? That's the courtroom drama that we read about in the Bible. In John chapter 10, verses 7 through 9, he's the door of the sheep. Acts chapter 4. If you've got your Bible, would you turn there? Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Guys, this Acts chapter 4, verse 12. This is right up there, parallel. I mean, put it on Facebook and put that this, you know. Or you can say that, I'm just going to put this here for a minute, or however people do it. I've never done that. I'm not that smug. But you know what I'm talking about. Let me just set this here for you to step in. Okay. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Okay, so you guys have been there. You've been out in the world. You've been talking to your coworkers. You watch plenty of TV. You watch the news. You've seen what's going on. And you just hear just the pluralism. And you just hear of all the ways that flow and go. And you just hear, you know, Buddha, Confucius, Gandhi, Muhammad, whatever. Call him Allah if you want. You know, just whatever it is. Just... Throw out the names, throw out the the systems, Hinduism and the just millions of gods that Hinduism has, Buddhism and the millions of gods that Buddhism has, Kabbalah and just whatever. I mean, just all of those things. And then you just come to a verse that's just not afraid to be bold that says, "Uh uh-uh. There is not salvation in any one of those other men or those other systems. In fact, all of those other men are dead. But Jesus is risen from the dead, just like he claimed and said that he would. So there's not salvation found in any one of those guys. Nor is there salvation found in any other but And I love how uh, it's Peter in Acts 4. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I think it was David Guzik that said, But is Christianity bigoted? Certainly, there are some who claim to be Christians who are in fact bigots. But biblical Christianity is the most pluralistic, tolerant, embracing of other cultures on earth. Christianity is the one religion to embrace other cultures. 
and has the most urgency to translate the scripture into other languages. A Christian can keep their native language and culture and follow Jesus in the midst of it. An early criticism of Christianity was the observation that they would take anybody, slave or free, rich or poor, man or woman, Greek or barbarian, all were accepted, but on the common ground of the truth as revealed in Jesus Christ. To leave this common ground in Jesus is spiritual suicide, both now and in eternity. F.F. Bruce, biblical historian, said, If this seems offensively exclusive, let it be borne in mind that the one who makes this claim is the incarnate word, the revealer of the Father. And so in the context of John chapter 4, Jesus does not simply blaze a trail commanding others to take the way. He is the way. He is the trail. It's not adequate to say that Jesus is the way in the sense that he's the whole background against which an action must be performed. That's too passive of a role for Jesus. He is the way. We're going to have the worship team come on up.